Well, it's always a privilege to open up the Word of God, and it's a blessing to be here in Lavington Independent Baptist Church. And uh, my wife and I will be transferring our membership here at the end of this year. Uh, we had things to participate in uh, at Manila, uh, and you know I retired uh, five years ago, but then I was called back into the ministry uh, three years ago, and uh, I retired again for the second time, and we've been here now one full year, and so uh, time really uh, goes in quickly. Yes, I knew your pastor and Gillian uh, uh, many, many years ago when my wife and I came to Australia. Uh, we were one of the last 10 pound palms and uh, we emigrated to Australia and uh, I've been trying to get that 10 pound back ever since. But uh, we emigrated to Australia and uh, we were in the hostel. Uh, Ken Christian lived down in uh, uh, Mulgrave, Mulgrave and uh, he gave us a lift up to church. It was bit of a story behind all that, but we started attending uh, Croydon Baptist Church uh, under Roly Smith, and that uh, goes back 47 years ago. So uh, it's a blessing still to be in church, to be saved, and to minister the Word of God. Okay, just another two verses in Second Chronicles chapter 30. Second Chronicles chapter 30, and we're going to read the uh, two verses that are inside on your bulletin. Uh, verses 13 and 14. Thank you for reading the first eight verses, but uh, verses 13 and 14 says this. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took their way and cast them into the brook Kidron. And I said a couple of weeks ago that we're going to start looking at a subject I've called Kidron. Kidron is a brook, a little stream. And I indicated at that time that there was at least three kings associated with the brook Kidron. The first king was David. And i just give a little bit of what I said a couple of weeks ago. Remember how Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel? And he dealt treacherously with his father David. Second Samuel 15 verses 6 and 12. So much so that King David had to flee for his life. 2 Samuel 15, verse 14. Then we are introduced to someone in verse 19 of that chapter. His name was Ittai. He was the new boy on the block, as it were. The one who had just joined the king's ranks. And the king tried to persuade him to go back home. And in verse 21, we see one of the greatest affirmations of love and loyalty and support in all the scripture. Please uh, look that up when you go home. Second Samuel 15 verse 21. Because Ittai wanted to follow David, even unto death. And we saw that that compared with Ruth chapter 1 
and verse 16. Ittai had great love for his Lord, and it all happened at Kidron. And then we were introduced to Zadok the priest and David's friend Hushai, who were both willing to put their lives in danger at the king's bidding. They also were great supporters of the king. And it all happened at Kidron. Then Ziba comes on the scene. Second Samuel 16 and verse 1. And he supplied their need. If you read that, it tells us that he came with a, a couple of asses packed out with uh, raisins and drinks and so forth for the army. And folks, these men on the forefront of the battle needed sustenance and support and supplies. And Zeba brought supplies and it happened at Kidron. So David certainly was separated from his enemies. Absalom stole the hearts of the people. David certainly was supported by men like Ittai, Zadok and Hushai. Faithful men who stood by him. And David's needs were certainly supplied by Ziba. He saw the need and he supplied it. And it all happened at Kidron. And folks, that's what we need in the church today. Men and women who are willing to fight in the forefront of the battle, on the front line as it were. Men and women who are willing to support where they are needed. Men and women to supply the need where that is needed also. That's what we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Now we look at the second person associated with the brook, Kedron. But before we do that, let's just come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for the Lord's Day. We thank thee for the folks that have gathered in. And oh God, our Father, we do pray that we might have the open ear and the understanding heart to receive the word. Father, may it be that man might be hid behind the cross, that no man might be seen save Jesus only. And as we listen to thy word proclaimed, that each and every one of us might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, again, we give thee thanks for the blessing and the privilege of being able to sit under your word, to read your word, to meditate upon it and to be doers of it. So, Father, undertake this day and we'll be careful to give thee the praise, the honour and the glory in our Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we look at the second person associated with the brook, Kidron. Now, Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 1 to 8, and 13 and 14, we have read. But I want to just give you a little bit of history, not much, but Hezekiah's predecessor, who was also his father, was King Ahaz. Don't know if you realize that, but King Hezekiah's predecessor was King Ahaz. Ahaz, and he was one of the most wicked kings that Judah and Israel ever had. Please turn to Second Chronicles 28. Second Chronicles 28, and I'll read from verse 21. Second Chronicles 28 and verse 21. For Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord, and out of the house of the king, and of the princes, and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. And in the time of his distress, 
did he trespass yet more? So he had already trespassed against the Lord. Did he trespass yet more against the Lord? That is, that Cain Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, therefore I will sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together all the vessels of the house of God, and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem, and in every several city of Judah he made high places to burn incense unto other gods, and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now in the rest of his acts, of all his ways, first and last, behold, they are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept, he died. Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulchres, of the kings of Israel and Hezekiah his son reigned in his place Ahaz was a wicked wicked man he imposed idolatrous practices upon the people he set up idols pagan altars and then sacrificed children in their pagan Altars. Please turn back to Second Chronicles 28 and verse 3. We will not dwell on this. But Second Chronicles 28 and verse 3 says this. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire after the abomination of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Ahaz, no doubt, was a very wicked man. He destroyed the vessels of the house of God. He shut up the doors of the temple. And folks, when he died, he was buried, yes, in the city, but not with the other kings of Israel. What a difference. And how refreshing it is to read of Hezekiah and his zeal for the things of God. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he started to reign. And he reigned for 29 years. And in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 29 it says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. How can it be that a father and a son can be so different? We looked at that when we saw King David and Absalom. The first thing he did, this is uh, Hezekiah, he opened and repaired the doors which allowed access into the sanctuary. We're not read it, but Second Chronicles 29, verse 3. Then he cleansed the temple and got rid of all the filthiness out of the holy place. And after that, he sought to put God first in the affairs of of the nation. Look at verse 10 of 2 Chronicles 29. 
Verse 10 of Second Chronicles 29 says this, Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. He made a covenant. Hezekiah wanted to put God first in his life. Now please note verse 11 after that. Verse 11 says this, My sons, this is after he wanted to make a covenant with the God of Israel. She says, My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him and burn incense, that is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Folks, let me just say this. You are not a product of your environment. You're not. Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, was very, very evil. And that's the situation that Hezekiah was brought up in. But Hezekiah was very, very good. He loved the Lord. He made a covenant with the Lord. He wanted to walk with the Lord. He wanted to do things in Israel and in Jerusalem that was opposite to what his father did. You are responsible for your own decisions in your life. You cannot blame your father. You cannot blame your mother. You cannot blame the place you were born in. You cannot place your upbringing. You cannot blame your school. You cannot blame your church. You are responsible for the decisions you make in your life. Hezekiah made good decisions, praise God. The old devil would have uh, us by any means, as it were, to shut these doors. (laughs) And he will try his utmost to keep you from worshipping. But the word of God says, My sons be not now negligent. Keep the doors open. Keep worshipping. Keep coming along to church. Folks, the Lord has chosen you. Every one of us that are saved, we are chosen. And we uh, are chosen for specific purposes in life. And it says, you're chosen to stand before him. You're chosen to serve him. You're chosen to minister unto him. Uh, Last week, uh, Brother Ian and Pastor Jekyll spoke on being faithful and ministering unto the Lord. Then Pastor Gavin spoke on sanctification on Wednesday evening. And all these things are very pertinent to the message today. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation. Primarily that is not a salvation verse. That is to the believers. It's written to those who were in the Hebrew church as it were. I'm not talking about another dispensation. Okay. But uh, the book of Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect our salvation? The old devil will try anything to keep us from being faithful from ministering, from getting involved. And I heard this said recently, and I've been saying this for many, many years. If you are too busy to get involved in the Lord's work, then you are too busy. It's as simple as that. You are spending too much time on other things at the expense of what God has called you to do. Simple as that. So you need to judge yourselves. Judge in your own heart. Look and see if you are as faithful as you ought to be. Hezekiah could see the history 
of unfaithfulness. And in Second Chronicles 29, we might turn to that one, Hezekiah saw unfaithfulness, Second Chronicles 29 and verses 6 to 11 says this, For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs, and they have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the Lord God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now, it is my, my heart to make a covenant. And after Hezekiah had explained the unfaithfulness of Israel, he said, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with God. And he says, my sons, be not you are the, uh, uh, negligent. Be not now negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. Hezekiah. Rebuke them for their unfaithfulness. Let me just ask you a rhetorical question. I'll address it to me as well. Have we been neglecting our salvation? Have we been neglecting our testimony? Have we been neglecting our spiritual responsibility? Or, and it may well be, are we Placing God first in our lives. Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, but you seek first the kingdom of God. From Samuel 1, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 30, uh, For them that honor me, I will honor. Second Chronicles chapter 30, Hezekiah could see that things were not good spiritually in the land. So he called for the priests to sanctify themselves. Look at verse 3 again, which Pastor just read a few moments ago. Second Chronicles 30 and verse 3. For they could not keep up that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. And so he called for the priests to sanctify themselves. And he wrote letters to all Israel. Would to God that Christians, that believers, that born-again folks would sanctify themselves in these days. Maybe we need to send out letters by the post and say, sanctify yourselves before God. This is what Hezekiah did. He could see the unfaithfulness. He could see where they were going. He could see they were walking away from the Lord. And he wrote them a letter. He said, hey, it's time you got your act together. It's time you sanctified yourself. It's time you were the men and women of God that you ought to be. Sanctify yourselves. Verse 1 goes on to say that they should come to the house of the Lord. Now, folks, we are exhorted likewise, aren't we? Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Psalm 96, 9, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, also recorded in Psalm 29, 2. 
In verse 3, we noted that even the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently to conduct the office of a priest. And folks, it is essential, yea, it is imperative that those who hold offices of responsibility and places of responsibility sanctify themselves. Preachers, teachers, leaders, those who work with older folks, those who work with younger folks, those who witness and those who hand out tracts. Folks, no one is excluded No one. All who believe are a testimony and a witness and ought to be sanctified. Sanctified. Now we know what sanctified means. It means set apart for the work of the Lord. It also means clean, pure, undefiled, holy, of good character. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 66 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. Where does each one of us stand? And I'm not trying to put anyone on a guilt trip here today, but we need to know where we stand before God because if we don't know, then how can we sanctify ourselves? How can we be holy before a holy God? Let us look at some of the uh, responses, as it were, uh, whenever Hezekiah sent out his letters. Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 10. Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 10. So the post passed from city to city, through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. They laughed them to scorn and mocked them. That's like Pastor Gavin ringing up everybody in the church and saying, we've got a meeting tonight and we're going to uh, make sure that we're cleansed and sanctified and and holy and and ready to stand before God and people laughing down the phone at him. Same thing. They laughed him to scorn and mocked him. A godly man, Hezekiah, wanted others to get right with God and they mocked him. He spoke the truth to them and they laughed virtually in his face. Listen, folks, you will always get the scorners. Don't worry about that. You'll always get the mockers, especially when you preach truth and standards. There was mockers and scorners in Hezekiah's day. There's been mockers and scorners all down through the years of time. I'm sure there's been mockers and scorners here in Lavington and District, especially when we preach the way we do. We preach from the King James Bible, and we make no apology for that. We preach the Word of God and without compromise. We're not Ruckmanites, but we use the King James Version. We sing from the heart the great hymns of the faith. We practice modesty in dress code. We believe in total abstinence from alcohol. We believe no divorce, no remarriage. And they mocked because they were asked. They were asked to come and sanctify themselves. And they didn't want to be part of the assembly, as it were. They mocked. Look at the advice <laughs> King Hezekiah gives in verse 8. Be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were 
but yield yourselves unto the Lord. There needs to be a yielding in these days unto the things of God. And then again, there are those who will humble themselves and God will give them one heart. Look at verses 11 and verse 12, 2 Chronicles 30. Nevertheless, regardless of all those mockers and scorners, he says, nevertheless, the verse of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So some people say, hey, that's right. That's good. I am going to get involved in this sanctification process. I am going to go and support the king. I am going to be there, and I am going to be there with all my heart, with all my mind, and all the rest of it, all my strength. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of his princes by the word of the Lord. And so some mocked and some obeyed. Folks, let's pray that we will not be as the scoffers and the mockers in these days. Let's pray that we will not be stiff-necked, spiritually speaking, but that God will give us a humble heart and a oneness to be obedient unto the things of God. Hezekiah did not get sidetracked with the scoffers. He spent time with the workers and those that supported him in the work. Now let me just say something here. I don't know if this happened here in Lavington. But in my early ministry in Benella, I used to spend 85% of my time with those who were not walking with the Lord. Those who were disobedient. Those who were complaining. And you spend most of your time with them. And the other 10% or so I spent with the folks who were walking with the Lord and who were obedient to his word and who were following him. I said, this is not right. I've got to spend time with God's people. I've got to be out there and encouraging them to continue on. Yes, you still need to spend time with the mockers and the scorners and try to bring them around to the way that God would have them to be. But sometimes it's overwhelming, folks. Whenever I was going through this, it reminded me of one of my favorite characters in Scripture, Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, Sambalath and Gershom sent unto me, saying, Come down, let us meet together in one of the villages of the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, Oh no, I am, he doesn't actually say that in the Word of God, but he says, Oh no, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And folks, whenever you're involved in the things of God, whenever your life is sanctified and set apart for the things of God, there will be the mockers and the scorners, and they'll try to get you down off the wall. They'll try to pull you down uh, so that the work might cease so that the work might be hindered but our response is oh no not me I am going to continue on the wall the world and the enemies of God would have us get down off the wall and leave the work that God has called us to and we need to be like Nehemiah in those days and just say as I said oh no (laughs) why should I who am doing a great work for my Lord 
Leave the work and come down unto you. And folks, we're not literally standing on a wall today, but we're out there doing the work of God. And some people would say, well, you don't need to be there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, whatever the case might be. Why don't we go here? Why don't we go there? Come down with me and have some time with me. It's not real fellowship. We should say, no thanks. God's called me to this ministry on a Friday night. God has called me to this ministry on a Wednesday night. We ought to be here praying our hearts out. As I said last week, I think it was, Spurgeon wrote a little girl called Grace a letter begging her that she might get saved. He said, do you not know that your father and your mother are here every prayer meeting on their knees in tears praying for your soul? How come that they love your soul so much and you do not love it? Please run up the stairs right now and come to the throne of grace and I will meet you there. Dear Grace, I pray that you get saved. I've said already, Hezekiah did not get sidetracked from the work God wanted him to do. And he sent these letters out and requested the people to sanctify themselves. Now look at Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 14. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem. And all the altars of incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. All this happened around Kidron. And if you go back into Second Chronicles 29 and verse 16, it says this, And the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. And they dumped it all in the brook Kidron. And we can see that they cleansed themselves. They cleansed the sanctuary. And they cleansed the city. And they cast all the idols and the filthiness into the brook Kidron. Let me ask you a question, folks. What is your Kidron? What is Kidron to us? Well, as I thought about this, I couldn't think of a better couple of verses in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not transformed to this world, but be ye transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not transformed to this world. To Hezekiah, the brook Kidron was a place of strengthening he made a covenant with God. It was a place of sanctification. They were all cleansed. It was a place of service, action. Cast down the idols. Cast them into the brook Kidron. And the people sanctified themselves. Now folks, that's what the Lord wants us to do. In John 17, 17, the Lord prays for our sanctification. 
We haven't got time to go into all the details. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul prays for our sanctification. Hebrews 13 verse 12, it says this, We are sanctified by the blood. Whenever the Lord was on his journeys, John chapter 13, he came in and they all sat down and nobody had washed the feet. And he got up and he started washing the feet one by one, one by one. And there are many lessons in that chapter. But one of the lessons is sanctification. He says, look, you're clean. You're clean. But sometimes when you have a daily walk in the dust and the dirt of this world, you need to wash your feet as it were. And folks, we are clean. When we get saved, we're cleansed. We're sanctified through the blood. But on a daily, daily time, we need to be sanctified from the filth of the world that has permeated our lives. Sometimes we see things we can't get out of our mind. Sometimes we listen to things we can't avoid remembering. And we need to go before God and pray that through the blood he might cleanse us. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray that we might be strengthened. I pray that we might be sanctified. I pray that we may be ready for service. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Folks, this brings us to our third person. will not be too long here. Our third person associated with the brook, Kidron. And of course, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ was the rejected king. But he is the coming king of kings and Lord of lords. And again, we haven't got time to go through all these readings. But John chapter 18, verses 1 to 9, they had just celebrated the Passover and he passed over Kidron. They went out and passed over Kidron. In Luke twenty two thirty nine, he went to the Mount of Olives, where he prayed, speaks of supplication. In Mark fourteen nineteen to twenty seven, here we have the betrayal, and the Lord said, and all the sheep of Israel will be scattered, and he went out to the Mount of Olives. In Matthew twenty six and verse thirty, he went out into the Mount of Olives. And the Lord says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. So folks, all these passages of scripture tells us of the journey of our Lord from supper to Mount Olivet, the crossing of Kidron, and the garden of prayer. They also highlight the Lord's lessons when he spoke of his betrayal, his death, his resurrection, the scattered sheep of Israel. So let's go back to John chapter 18 and verse 1. We'll just read one or two verses uh, from these chapters. John chapter 18 and verse 1 says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron. Same place, just spelt a little bit differently in the New Testament, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Now here it tells us that our Lord crossed over the brook Kidron, just like his ancestor, just like his forefather, King David, before him. For our Lord, it was a place of supplication. He prayed in the garden. 
For both King David and our Lord, it was a place of rejection. Both of them were rightful kings. Both were betrayed by someone close to them. King David by Absalom, his son. Our Lord Jesus Christ by Judas, whom he said of, is mine own familiar friend. Psalm 41 verse 9 says this, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, or in whom I gave my trust, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Both had a small band of faithful followers. And on both occasions, the mood and the atmosphere was sorrowful and heavy-hearted. Now on the way to the garden, our Lord passed over the brook Kidron. So let's just follow the Lord for a moment on his journey. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 and verse 30. Matthew 26 and verse 30 says this. And when they had sung on him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And I can just imagine the Lord, heavy-hearted, knowing what was going to happen with a small band of disciples, being a rejected king. They sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And on their way, the Lord tells them that many will be offended at him. And he quotes from the scripture, Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7, but Matthew quotes it exactly. Matthew 26 and verse 31. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me. Remember, this is after they went out. And they went to the Mount of Olives, and they're on their way, and they're going to cross over Kedron. All shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. So John 18 tells us he went over the brook Kedron. And I just wonder, folks. I just wonder, did he stop? at the brook Kidron and related this truth about the scattered sheep of Israel. I just wonder if our Lord was thinking back to when his ancestor, King David, crossed the same brook, a shepherd with the scattered sheep of Israel, weeping and sorrowful, betrayed by someone close to him. Now, as far as David was concerned... He was triumphant and he returned back and he was welcomed and he reigned again on the throne. And folks, one day our Lord Jesus Christ will return in the clouds and take away his bride only to return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords some seven years later to set up his millennial kingdom and he will reign on the throne for 1,000 years. Amen? Amen. What a time of rejoicing that will be. So our Lord moves into the garden, begins to be 
heavy and sorrowful. And in Matthew 26 and verse 48, Matthew 26 and verse 48, it says this, Now he that betrayed him, give them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. Jesus was going to give the sign of a kiss. The sign of love. Betrayed. We've already looked at Psalm 41 and verse 9 where it says, My own familiar friend. See, Judas was of the tribe of Judah. Judas of Iscariot. Of the tribe of Judah. Therefore, he was part of the family, as it were. Part of the same tribe. Now please turn to Psalm 55. I'm just reading this as an interesting reading on the side. Psalm 55 and verses 12 to 14. Psalm 55 verse 12 to 14. I'll read verse 11. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not. From her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. And boy, that just reminds me of Judas walking with the Lord. A, a family member, as it were, walking the same streets, listening to the same ministry as the others, going into the same temple and synagogue as our Lord. And he betrayed him. Judas walked with the Lord. He was family. He was not an enemy. Yet the devil entered into him. And Judas betrayed the Lord with a kiss. Which led to the mock trial. And oh boy, we can say plenty about that. Led to the lies and the deceit. And the false witnesses. Led to the brutal treatment of our Lord when he was whipped to within an inch of his life. When the hairs of his face was plucked out. When the crown of thorns was placed on his head. And then they lay a cross on the ground. And they placed him on that cross. And they nailed him to the cross. Hands and feet. With no way. Of getting breath. And crucifixion is death by suffocation. And as he would try to push himself up for a breath that would really be painful in his feet and in his hands. The lies, the brutal treatment, finally the sacrifice on Calvary. Our Lord came to the brute Kedron, knowing all things, knowing he would be betrayed, knowing the brutal treatment that lay ahead. Knowing he would be hung 
on the old rugged cross. Yet in love, he passed over. Yet in love, he continued on. And folks, he did it all for you and for me. He gave his life to redeem us back to himself. To King David, Kidron was a place of separation, a place of support, a place of supply. To Hezekiah, Kidron was a place of strengthening, a place of sanctification, a place of service. To our Lord, Kidron was a place of supplication, a place of sorrow, a place of sacrifice. I hope and pray that you also have a Kidron in your life, that you're separated, sanctified, and saved. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for thy word. We do pray, Lord, you bless your word to our hearts. May it be that we'll be cleansed and sanctified. May it be that we will be available for thy service. May it be that each one here is saved. And oh God, our Father, should there be one that is not saved, may even this day be a day in their life when they make things right with thee. My Father, we just pray you bless the remainder of this service. We be covered to give thee the praise and the glory in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen.